1: Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jetikin. Desi, let's start off the show by thanking our lovely Patreon contributors for this past week. We had Amelia, Lena, Graciela, Kimberly, Stacy, Nakima, Erin, Troy, Katrina, Megan, James, Amanda, Emily, Justine, Edward, Kendra, Tracy, Whitney. Liam, Timothy, Marsha, Amy, Shannon, Rashida, Stephanie. Uh, my mom became a patron, Desi. Really? Yeah, I was shocked. I can't shocked. wait for her to listen to all those. <laughs> <laughs> I was like going through my mind. I was like, oh my God, what nasty shit did, did we put on the Patreon bonus? Because our all of our bonus episodes, look. They're,
0: they're really dirty. A lot
1: of them are disgusting. Mm-hmm. But then I remember a very wise thing that my mother said to me a few years ago. She said, Rachel, I knew about come before you were born. I mean, that's true. <laughs> so, I guess, so she can handle it. Stella can handle it. Sure. We also had Erica, Barbara, Nicole, and Rhea.
0: Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much. Okay. So... Last week, we kind of offhandedly mentioned doing um, bad dads this month. I think we're just going to do one this week. Yeah. Uh, since it is Father's Day on Sunday. So I've heard. I haven't even got a gift for my dad yet. Oh, oh really? God. Well, that's the one good thing about not having a relationship with your dad. <laughs> There's look, you gotta look for the uh the, the light. positive, <laughs> the positive, you know me, I'm very positive. So, um we are going to do one this week though, and this is sort of the dad version of Mommy Dearest, and that is the story of Bing Crosby, whose oldest son Gary wrote a tell-all memoir in 1983 called Going My Own Way. And that's a play on the title of one of his dad's most whatever well-known movies called Going My Way. Um It's always a good burn. When you can write a scathing indictment
1: of someone and it's a takeoff of one of their pieces of art. Yeah. (laughs) It's
0: the goal, I think, when writing a tell-all.
1: Like if Brendan was going to write a (laughs) tell-all, he could write Hollywood shit scene.
0: (laughs) Or do some kind of diarrhea song thing (laughs) when you're talking about crimes (laughs) and your butt gets all grimes. Grimesy? I I don't know. Forget me. Uh, Anyway, so... This book details the abuse he and his brother suffered at the hands of their dad, Bing Crosby. I got the book, and it's pretty much the source for everything that's to come, as well as a People magazine article that came out about the memoir, and then a Washington Post piece that was all about what they describe as the Crosby curse. So I'll be getting into that. Um, So, yeah. I'm definitely going to get into the horrific allegations laid out in Gary's memoir, but first I'm going to get into a little bit of Bing's career and early life before we get into his role as a Hollywood dad, the reality of which is miles apart from what is presented to the the world Now, Bing Crosby is born Harry Lilas Crosby on May 3rd, 1903, and he is the fourth of seven children, a typical Irish Catholic family of that time. He got his nickname Bing at a very young age. He would often tell stories that it was from playing cops and robbers as a kid and saying bing, 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 which is really stupid. I'm sorry. Who does that? Why would that be your good story? Like, that's not like... That's not what
1: a gun sounds like.
0: Exactly. Not even
1: like, that's like the story
0: he would like tell on radio programs and stuff like that, like a funny story. But he, um, that's not true. The truth is it was because he was a fan of a comic called the Bingville bugle. And a classmate started calling him bingo from Bingville, (laughs) which got shortened to Bing. And the rest is history. That's a better story. Yeah. It's cute. Now in 1917, Crosby took a summer job at Spokane's Auditorium and it was there that he saw some of the biggest musical acts in the country including Al Jolson who he described as electrifying. Now, Al at the time was described as the world's greatest entertainer and obviously he also has the awful legacy of being probably the most famous blackface performer yeah. ever. I mean, yeah. So definitely uh a mixture of uh that but but being like was you know, I think the things he saw, he was singing like Hawaiian songs because he also did other type of acts. Um, so yeah, in 1923, Bing began working in the music and entertainment field when he formed a small singing trio and a local band before he and another friend moved to California to seek fame and fortune. He eventually moves to New York with an act called The Rhythm Boys, and he also got married in 1930 to 20-year-old singer, and her name was Dixie Lee. Now, Dixie Lee was Better known than Crosby at the time, and um, this is perfectly illustrated in a news release about their wedding, which reported that she had married Murray Crosby. (laughs) What? (laughs) That was like they didn't know his name, was like she married Murray Crosby. (laughs) Like (laughs) that's not even close. Yeah, I mean, you gotta love (laughs) you gotta love the guy just being so dismissed. Like they don't even fucking learn his name now. In 1931, he breaks out big as a solo artist with his own radio show. I, I When I was reading a lot about his, like, uh career, like, I think, I mean, I knew Bing Crosby probably mostly as an actor, but he was really fucking famous singer before he broke into movies. Ten of the top 50 songs of 1931 included him with others or as a solo act. Oh, like, so
1: he's, like, old school. Yeah, this 30s. is, like, the
0: 30s. This is during... great depression like he was the biggest like star during this like period of um you know early 30s it was during this period though he also starts began to um appear in pictures so despite his success like now he's obviously the big success there was a lot of problems in the marriage and like i think it's like six months after they got married on march 4th 1931 Dixie announced that they had separated, that she would soon be filing for divorce, and she was charging mental cruelty. Wow. Now, she went on to say, We have only been married about six months, but we have already found out that we are not suited for each other. Our separation is an amiable one, and the only reason for it is that we just cannot get along. Bing is a fine boy as a friend, but married, he and I just cannot be happy. Now, within a week, a reconciliation came about. Dixie had gone to a party of a friend's to Agua Caliente for the weekend. Agua
1: Caliente? Yeah.
0: Is that like how you say it? Uh, that's a casino, Desi, in Palm Springs. <laughs> yes. That's where she went. That still exists? Yes. Oh, we should go there.
1: I've We've been there, Desi. We did? <laughs> We did? Well, they, uh, okay. there There is a big Aguacaliente Caliente casino just outside of like downtown Palm Springs, like 10 miles away. And then the one that we went to, it used to be called the Spa. Re- it's called the Spa Resort and Casino, but it's, it's Agua Caliente. It's oh. part of their casino okay. franchise cool. or whatever.
0: Now, um, she told one of the friends she was there with that, she wasn't really as angry at Bing as she was sort of like putting on to the press. That girl called Bing Crosby long distance on the phone and told her that Dixie wasn't as mad as she was pretending to be for the press. And an hour and a half later, he appeared at Agua Caliente uh, having flown down in an airplane and they made up. Oh, That was a pretty like... With his ex-wife? Well, they weren't divorced yet. Separated. They were like... Separated Yeah, separated. Now... They have four sons. They have Gary in 1933, twins, Philip and Dennis in 1934, and Lindsay in 1938. So at this point, Dixie pretty much gives up her career um, and becomes a full-time mom. She does a few performances here and there, but it's pretty much done for her at this point. Um, Crosby's Crosby's biographer, Gary Giddens, described Dixie as shy and as a private person with a sensible approach to life he recounts Dixie and Bing um, as being, when they were young and married, they would be going to these parties where liquor was obviously being served. Dickie, I'm sorry, <laughs> Dixie, Dixie drank socially to keep up with Bing because he was a heavy drinker. Uh-huh. And he's often, there are rumors that sometimes he would be kicked out of bands uh, coming up because of his alcohol problems. She does eventually succeed in curbing his alcohol consumption, but she becomes an alcoholic in the process. Is that how she curbed it? She just was like, <laughs> Well, if I'm doing it too. I guess she kind of was keeping up with him and then she got him to calm down, but didn't know how to stop herself. In or it some just way. didn't seem as bad anymore. Maybe. And she also, you know, a lot of this is happening at home right. where she's alone with kids yeah. and fucking drinking a lot. Now, this is an interesting thing I came across. Her struggles with alcoholism were the loose basis for a movie that I actually like a lot called Smash Up, the story of a woman starring Susan Hayward. Have you seen this movie? No. It's really good. So... This is a 1947 drama film. Um, it has like a film noir element to it. It's about a rising nightclub singer who marries another singer whose career takes off and then she falls into alcoholism after giving up her career for him. It's like a very uh, A Star is Born right. type vibe. Uh, so you should check that movie out. I never knew it was based on Dixie Lee and Bing, um, but it's probably because his persona was kept very wholesome at this time. But yeah, so check out that movie, and that's sort of a loose uh, basis of their story. Now, um, Dixie's alcoholism um, and Bing's heavy drinking, because he still was heavy, heavily drinking, were definitely not great for the marriage or the family. Now. A little more too long didn't read on his career before I get into the family life. Bing majorly takes off with the recording of White Christmas by Irving Berlin. We all know the song. And to this day, it's the best-selling single of all time. Really? Yes. Yes. Now, White Christmas, by the way, is one of my favorite holiday movies. (laughs) Have you seen this movie? I think I saw a stage production of it in San Francisco. It's like the two brothers and the two sisters, and they're trying to do the hotel in Vermont, or like the resort in Vermont. I'm pretty sure I saw the stage production of this when I was in San Francisco, and I thought it was
1: like the corniest fucking thing ever. It's a corny
0: movie. It has really good music. It's Danny Kaye, Bing Crosby, Rosemary Clooney, and uh, what's that actress's name? Vera something. I, I'm forgetting I know name. what it looks like. Yeah. Like I've probably, I've seen clips of it. I wouldn't say it's like one of the biggest holiday movies, but it's definitely around. It's iconic. Yeah, it's really good. It's not my thing, but it is an iconic movie. Um, So he also stars in the hugely successful road movies with Bob Hope and Dorothy L'Amour. He wins an Academy Award for Best Actor for Going My Way. In 1944, he's nominated for the sequel, The Bells of uh, St. Mary's. He also gives um, a critically acclaimed performance as an Alcoholic in the country girl with Grace Kelly. Um, he also becomes like one of the richest men in the history of show business. Outside of acting, he's a very successful investor. He is invested in like everything. He makes a fortune with the Minute Maid Orange Juice Corporation because <laughs> he's a stockholder in that. At some point, he, um, despite his also beyond his wealth, he is responsible for numerous innovations in audio recording. Like he. He like innovates all of these techniques used because he's like one of the earlier audio like you recording know recording I mean? artists, and he's also a twenty five percent shareholder owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates. What? Like he like throughout the sixties until his death, he was like a shareholder of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, one of the best periods of baseball uniforms <laughs> ever. <laughs> Amazing, Dave Parker, Clemente, like all those so players. Hot. Yeah. So that's some of the career stuff. Let's get into the juicy stuff. Like on Wikipedia where you immediately scroll to the personal section. Always. <laughs> you gotta skip through all this stuff. You know what I read <laughs> do you know what I read? I have never
1: been so dragged before on Twitter is somebody tweeted, they said all all Jewish people go to Wikipedia and immediately click on early life to find out if the person is Jewish. And I was like, Oh, <gasps> I felt so called out. I felt so called out, Desi. But I also do love the personal life section.
0: You got to look for the personal life section. Yeah. Then yeah. you can go back and look well, at the highlights. Well, then I find out, like, like, oh, that person did some weird fucking shit. Well, that's where you'll see, like, one sentence, and you're like, let me investigate this further. <laughs> yeah. Like, I think that that movie was in Dixie Lee's personal section. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like... One thing Gary mentions in his memoir is that his father went to great pains to make sure his kids were not treated like the children of other Hollywood stars. Like, like
1: Joan Crawford. Very similar
0: to Joan, Joan Crawford. And I mean, to be honest, I do think it's great to give your kids a more normal life the best you can, but it becomes abusive when you're literally <laughs> shitting on them to make sure they know they're not special. Like, And that's how far it went with Bing. So some stuff was normal. Um like Gary tells a story about going to the birthday party of Edward J. Robinson's son. And they actually, this party sounds insane. Like they create a fake jail and the birthday boy got to arrest all of his friends and put them in the fake jail. Are you fucking serious? <laughs> that was like a birthday party. What does this kid do today? Is he kill people? I have no idea. So like, this seems like a good compromise to me. Like the Crosby kids would have a very low key thing, a few friends, a cake, and like a few presents, like a more normal situation, Right. But um, this also leads to like a real sense of uh, denial of reality for these kids. Like their father is obviously very successful and famous and they're clearly more wealthy than their other friends. Like they live in a massive 20 room Holmby Hills like mansion, but they're kind of like supposed to deny the obvious, which I can only imagine creates like a real disconnect with reality. Um, They were under very strict controls, told never to speak about their dad in a braggy way. They were taught to distrust people, trying to gain access because of who their dad was, and pretty much spent all of their time when they weren't in school at home. They weren't allowed to invite friends over, and they were just under this seriously strict set of rules when they were at home. The four boys only had each other, and they all had a lot of emotional and behavioral issues, constantly fighting at home and sometimes at school. Gary says the fighting between the brothers would happen at home because they all had this pent up frustration about their uh, life, you know, the life that they were living. And because they all felt like they were imprisoned at home despite being in this massive mansion. He says that he used to lock himself in the bathroom for privacy and something that he continued to do well into adulthood, which is definitely something... I related to as a kid, like sometimes I felt like the only way I could escape was like locking myself in the bathroom. Like no one would bother you in there. Yeah. So it was like a really sad detail. I thought that was um, very believable. According to Gary's book, some of that confinement was due to his parents' fear that that the kids would be kidnapped for ransom, a la the Lindbergh baby. He talks about a kidnapping threat that happened to um, his parents shortly after he was born. But despite the maybe reasonable fear for their children, it's still obviously sick to keep your kids basically held hostage in their home, or no matter how fear. nice it is. Like, you got to get over it. Like Yeah. So Gary describes... um the children feeling as if all the adults were working together as far as disciplining them, including the chauffeur who would inform the parents of any misbehavior in the car rides to school and the nanny who was given permission to discipline them. She would implement a technique she called the drowning treatment. No. Yes. And this is as horrible as it sounds. Here's an excerpt from his book. He refers to them as nurse, like a nanny nurse. One nurse liked to use the drowning treatment. If she caught any of us talking in bed or getting up too early in the morning, she hustled the guilty party into the bathroom and ordered him into the tub. When it was filled with two feet of water, she grabbed him by the hair, plunged his head down to the bottom and held it there a while, then brought it back up so his face went under the stream, still gushing from the faucet. If you timed it right, you might catch a short breath between the faucet and the tub. Now- That was too much even for Dixie, who came in on this drowning treatment at some point and fired the nanny on the spot. But every other form of abuse was A-OK with her. Really? Yes. Now, I just want to stress that every aspect of the boy's life was controlled and caused for punishment, not getting straight A's, having bad table manners, not eating everything on the plate. The youngest son, Lindsay, was a picky eater, and Dixie once um, found a lump of food that he didn't want to eat under the carpet near the dining room table. She forced him to scrape up the hidden food, put it back on the plate and eat and eat every bite while he choked and gagged. Like it had fur, like fur, like rug threads and dirt and stuff on it from being under the rug and on the floor. And he had to basically sit there and eat it while he was like gagging. And she just forced him to do it. Another thing that was a common, um, discipline technique. If one of the boys did not put their underwear away, he had to tie it on a string and wear it around his neck until bedtime and being referred to that as the Crosby lavalier. The only adult in the home who was somewhat kind and loving towards the kids was the cook and her name was Wilma. Gary describes the kitchen as the only joyful place in his life, which um, is not really surprising to me and Rachel and probably a lot of people who listen, who relieve stress with food. The kitchen is a great place. Uh, So Gary was always kind of stocky um, and he developed what being considered to be a weight problem. Gary described himself in the book at that age as looking like a lard bucket, which is so sad because I feel like he took on the language that his dad used towards him. It is
1: so sad when you hear stories about parents shaming their
0: kids' bodies like that. Well, it's going to get worse. Oh, my God. Uh, He said that Bing became obsessed with getting his weight down and put the child on a strict exercise routine and a diet of celery and grapefruit. No. Yes. Yes. When that didn't work, he, resor- he resorted to using insulting names to motivate his son to lose weight. I'm just saying, that doesn't work <laughs> uh, at all. Because yeah. that actually will make you want to emotionally eat more, Like, yeah. if anything, if that's your issue. Um, here's an excerpt from the book. The name-calling started early. It shows up in a 1937 interview he did at Paramount on a day he happened to take me with him. The clipping tells the story, I was four. So this is from the interview, Gary Evan, that's the guy, the son who wrote the book is named after his daddy's pal, Gary Cooper being recently brought Gary Evan down to Paramount to visit his namesake on the souls at sea set. And the tall, serious Cooper engaged the knee high lad in conversation. So we have the same name, have we mused Cooper? Well, my folks call me Frank. That was my name before the studio changed it to Gary. What does your daddy call you? Bashful Gary dug the toe of one scuffed sandal against the side of the other and answered, Bucket Brinches. <gasps> I guess dad's fans thought Bucket Brinches was cute. It, like That was a story in a, like, a Hollywood glossy that was supposed to be charming. Like, Can you imagine he had to tell Gary Cooper that's what he called his dad and the magazine thought it was like a cute story? Awful. So obviously Gary said, It didn't seem cute to me. Neither did Satchel Ass or Bucket Butt or My Fat-Ass Kid. That's how he introduced me to his cronies when he dragged me along to the studio or the race track. I remember tagging behind him at the track early one morning when I was about five. I was hanging out in the background watching the sunrise and the steam spill out of the horse's nostrils, which some of his pals appeared and he snapped me out of my reverie uh hey bucket butt get over here okay satchelette meet okay this is ass. meet my fat ass kid his friends all laughed and gary made like a face bing then called him out on it and gary pretended nothing was wrong bing replied good let's go bucket butt so like even when gary would grimace and like pain from being humiliated it was like he had to pretend that everything was okay or he would make it worse Now, Gary's weight next became the reason for everything. If he got called out in baseball, he would have made it if he was thinner, um, and he didn't have too much lard on him, according to Bing. Even when he had an accomplishment, Bing would say, imagine how much better it could have been if you lost 20 pounds. At the age of 11, Bing took the abuse to the next level. Every Tuesday, Gary would be weighed, and if the scale didn't say what Bing wanted it to say, Gary had to drop his pants and get an ass beating. Bing, and that's what Bing called it, by the way. And asked Bing. Uh-huh. Bing would also make him get up an hour earlier than his brothers and walk as far as he could to the school before the limo picked him up on the way. Bing would measure how far he got every day and expect it to be further uh, than the day before. demented. <clears throat> yeah. Now, Gary became obsessed, obviously, at this point with sticking to his celery and grapefruit diet because he felt like... The only way to have this end would be to get his weight down. He did get his weight down, but soon began stealing sweets and hiding food to eat alone in his room. He would stop eating on Sunday and take milk of magnesia to drop pounds before his weigh-in, often upping the dosage on Monday and starving himself like all day Monday before the weigh-in. Gary also began having more trouble in school, which led to more discipline. His mom would make him go pick his switch off a tree, and it had to be perfect, not too dry and not too uh, swing or like bendy. Right. So she would um, also instruct him not to cry or move during his beating, and he would obey since if he did any of those things, it would make it worse. Now, he would also describe his mom as getting very emotional and out of control when she would do this as a stark contrast to Bing, who, when he would beat the boys, was very calm and methodical with, like, zero emotion about it. He had a belt that he bought just for beatings, and he, according to Gary, would stop at the first drop of blood, which was 12 to 15 wax usually. Gary described fantasizing of revenge during his beatings about poisoning his dad's coffee or accidentally shoving him off a cliff, like that kind of stuff. Right. The twins were also given nicknames, um, including stupid and dumb, but Gary suffered the most. He is the oldest and even the twins, the middle brothers would kind of say that everything kind of, the brunt of it went to Gary and then whatever was left over went to them. The youngest, Lindsay, which was he was called Linny as a child, was dad's favorite and pretty much got no abuse except um, by his brothers who would gang up him on daddy's favorite whenever Bing was out of town. Now, all of this time, Bing is being presented as Father of the Year in the press. The boys would be trained if there was an interview coming up and would all answer everything perfectly, even when they misbehaved um, at school. The nuns would have more feelings for Bing than the boys, like poor Bing, how could his boys try and humiliate him like this, which kind of reminds me of the Jones stuff too right It was mm-hmm. like she he 's the world 's greatest dad, and these he has he got stuck with these like bratty little boys. Now, interestingly enough, Bing would sometimes mention discipline in these glossy news article, whatever Hollywood publicity stuff, and he would describe spanking the boys as discipline, um, but at home he would describe it as whippings and beatings. I guess spanking was more charming. Well, it was also way more like accepted. way more accepted. Right. And I think he definitely had that like strict dad, but like, good dad. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, at some point, Gary begins to sing and really enjoys it. His dad seems happy to help, gives him specific advice for upcoming performances that he has at school, and he eventually invites Gary and his other sons to tour with him. He's like on a tour selling war bonds and performing for the troops, that type of thing. It's during this period that Gary gets to see the Bing Crosby that the world knows. Like when he makes mistakes performing, Bing lets them roll. Like that's just how it is. Like, you always make like mistakes while you're performing. You have to like get up and go back on. You can't let it. So it's like he's seeing this different man, and he's like, "That's the guy that all the world loves, right. and the one I never see at home." Which is also like a really fucked up thing, I think, to see and realize like you don't get the dad that everyone else gets to see, like at yeah. home. Yeah. Um. So they have a great time on the road. I mean, he just gets to see this laid back and kind and beloved father for once and obviously it's devastating to go back home to the real bing um
1: well i mean this this is like a common situation with uh, any kind of abuse situation yeah where sometimes often not often but but there are a ton of instances where the abuser has a completely different persona
0: right i mean i definitely had that a where my persona. dad would be very uh you know, funny and like charming. I mean, it's like a sociopath. Like they'll turn it on in public and then you'll know, like you did something wrong. And when you get home, you're screwed. Do you know what I mean? But it's like like, no one. Yeah. And like everyone else has
1: this other idea of the person who's hurting you. Well,
0: that's why it's so infuriating in general when anyone says they were abused or any kind of bad behavior directed towards them. And people were like, he never did that to me. And it's like, yeah, (laughs) they can turn it on and off. Right. Uh, yeah. So now at this time, Gary really starts getting that his mom is an alcoholic. Yeah, The marriage is very strained at this point. Rumors of problems in their marriage pretty much existed throughout the whole marriage. Uh, in January of 1945, Dixie is rushed to St. Vincent Hospital after collapsing with a respiratory infection. Crosby accompanies his wife to the hospital, and that's a whole thing like, ooh, look at the good husband. Um, A later article suggests that she had taken an accidental overdose of sleeping pills and that she pretty much almost died, but who knows if it was very accidental or not. Now, Gary describes the boys as always finding their mom passed out, always slurring her words, seeming unstable, vomiting, um, being out of it. And that was so frightening to them that they were almost relieved to discover she was just an alcoholic and not really sick, which is also wow. really sad. Like, oh, that's what's wrong with her. She's an alcoholic. Like, yeah. Because they didn't know what was wrong with her. Like, they're just little kids. Like, why is mommy always... Like, she had a, um, I guess, like an ass- being hired like an assistant... To like monitor her, mm-hmm. um, so she would sometimes be in the room with the assistant for like two days straight, like never coming out, like right. nursing a hangover or whatever she was doing. So, did she die in the hospital? No, she's she lived. She lived. Yeah, uh, but it's sort of a questionable thing about what really happened. Right, no one really knows. Now, um, Bing also would cover up dixie's drunken escapades carefully monitoring at parties um, sweeping her out before things got really bad and and dealing with her with in front of the kids as well so he really helped cover it up in 1950 headlines broke out that dixie and bing's marriage was over bing is famously catholic and we all know especially back then catholics did not get divorced so they went in an overdrive to prove that their shitty marriage was great, and Dixie finally agreed to appear on Bing's annual Christmas special. She hadn't up until that point. Bing even pushed Gary into recording a record with him that ended up being a big hit. So, of course, Bing had to make sure Gary didn't enjoy the success, but he uh, spent a lot of time reminding him that he was uh, nothing special and that he shouldn't let the success go to his head, etc. Years later, Gary would find out that he had received a ton of interview requests, um, bags of fan mail, job offers, and guest spot requests that had poured in for him after the album, but Bing had hidden them all from him so he wouldn't get a big head. (gasps) Isn't that awful? (laughs) Isn't that so mean? It's so mean.
1: I hate Bing Crosby. Dude,
0: he blows. Now... In 1953, while Gary was at Stanford, he gets a call from his dad that he finds immediately unsettling. Uh, this is from the memoir, and this is Bing speaking. Gary, listen, I got bad news for you, he said. Your mom is dying. It's cancer. She's in a coma, and the doctors don't think she's going to pull out of it. You better come home right now. And then he started to cry. So he puts down the phone. He's Completely shocked because he had no idea that his mom was sick with cancer, much less that it was to this point. Like she's literally dying. Um, he starts thinking back about things that he was lied to about. His mother had an extreme weight loss. She had several surgeries um, the previous years, including like stomach surgery, which he assumed were for ulcers caused by her drinking. Three days after he drives down, Dixie dies of ovarian cancer at the age of 41. Now, Gary remembers thinking, why her and not him? So they really had affection for the mom, even though she was also kind of abusing them. Uh, But yeah, an interesting thing. Part of the reason that they were like, the marriage is over, was Bing was in Paris filming a movie called Little Boy Lost. Um, So... The whole time she's basically dying, the last months of her life, he's in Paris. And that was sort of what people were like, they're getting divorced. Why aren't they together? Then they find out that he was gone while she was terminally ill. Uh, Gary actually defends his father knowing his mom. He's like, she probably didn't want him there seeing her. So she probably wanted him away. Uh, He returns from filming um, to see his wife die on November 1st, 1952. He then has to film a scene in the movie. He plays a war correspondent who had never in his own heart accepted the fact that his wife was dead and forced to listen to the brutal account of her death read by her friend in the movie. So apparently this scene is like, he's really fucking crying. And like uh, Gary thinks that that was the moment he kind of grieved the wife because he couldn't do it in real life. Mm -hmm. So he did it on screen. I've never seen the movie.
2: That's stamps.com. Code program.
0: Now, obviously, Dixie's death affects everyone greatly, especially Dennis. He was particularly close to her. Gary and the twins began drinking a lot, especially Gary. When his weight ballooned, uh, he drinks so much that his weight actually balloons, um, and then he begins taking prescription diet pills to suppress his appetite, and did the whole doctor swapping thing once they began to catch on that he had an, a problem. The summer Gary turns 21, his dad let him basically run his radio show. Gary was super critical of himself, almost like when his dad wasn't critical of him, he would take over and, and be, be critical for him or something. That's all he knows. Yeah. And it's like, that's a lot I noticed in this book. Like Gary is very critical of himself and you can just hear that it's his dad speaking through him, which is just so awful. Um, But he does really well running this radio show. Um, His dad's like really proud of him. He's like complimentary. He also begins a romance with Betty Clooney, who is the sister of Rosemary Clooney. And that ends because of Gary's drinking after a violent incident where he pulls a sink, out of the wall at Betty's hotel. I I keep I keep forgetting the name of the hotel. What's the fancy hotel in New York? The Plaza. The Plaza. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I could not think of that and then what? I could, I couldn't find the page in the PDF cuz it's really hard to search PDFs that are just like screen. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Okay, the Plaza. Now, when the summer was over, the radio show job ended. Gary sank back into his depression. But he does start to pick up little acting work here and there, and he's even invited to run the radio show again the following summer. But his entertainment career is cut short when he is drafted in the U.S. Army. Now, at this time, all four Crosby boys are making headlines for drunken disorderly conduct, and that continues with Gary while he's stationed in Germany. He got into numerous drunken brawls, but it calms down a bit when he gets to uh, do singing engagements like on the base. Another thing that softens Gary is he falls in love with a woman named Sophie. Now the couple faces some, face some challenges from the get go because Sophie is black. And as we know, during that time, people are fucking assholes. Um, but he doesn't care. They're in love. Uh, well, but, when was,
1: it uh, was it even legal to, to interracial marriage. Was it?
0: Uh, yeah. I'm not quite when was sure. Loving. Oh yeah. That was like 50 years ago, it wasn't was this,
1: it? Yeah. There was just the anniversary. But maybe Germany
0: it. is different. Or oh, oh, they're they're in know. Germany, yeah. right? I don't know. But anyways, uh people weren't accepting of it regardless. Um, but they do persevere through that bullshit. What finally does them in, however, is Gary is an alcoholic and that leads to him to get physical with Sophie one night while he's blackout drunk. Jesus. Like he basically wakes up in bed with her and she's like, you know, beaten or oh injured. My God. Like he beats her up basically. Uh she kicks his ass to the curb like That day. Yeah. So that's good. Go, Sophie. Now, Gary is distraught, but began suffering health problems and is eventually diagnosed with epilepsy. But that does nothing to stop his destructive ways. Adding to everything he was going through was that Bing remarried a woman named Catherine Grant in 1957 while he was still stationed in Germany. And he basically does the thing, which I fucking hate, where they get a whole new life and a wife and like they start having a family. He has the first son with his second wife, who's um, named after his father, but I think his his nickname is Tex. Uh, And Bing does the thing where he sits down with an interview. The interview I saw was titled, How Bing Crosby Failed His Four Sons. So he talks about having a second chance and doing better with his new son and wife. I just hate when fucking old men (laughs) get remarried and they're like, I'm going to do it right this time. It's like, you still have kids <laughs> that that part isn't done yet. Like right. you don't get us. Like, where, where's the second chance for your kids? Like, right. It's such an infuriating thing. Like I remember seeing like Larry King do a similar thing. It's like, ah, like, uh, yeah, it's just so gross to me. So yeah. In addition to texts, Catherine and Bing have two other children, Nathaniel and Mary who fun fact fact, went on to play Kristen Shepard on Dallas, and is the character who, spoiler alert, shot Jr.
1: Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Wait, so Bing Crosby has eight
0: kids now? Seven. So he has four sons from the first marriage and three with Catherine. Only one more sibling than I have. Oh. I'm one of six. Yeah. Now, yeah. So Gary is obviously, you know... Shocked about this marriage, but sort of understanding. He's not exactly mad, but the press definitely try to to like play it up. Like, are you devastated that your father has remarried? Like, in his opinion, he's like, my mom's dead. Obviously, my dad's going to get remarried. It's not like he left my mom for her. So there just isn't that much animosity there. That that the but the press definitely tries to kind of play it up. In 1958, the boys, all four of them, form a singing group called the Crosby Boys. And they are like an immediate hit. Um, Scandal Rags began publishing stories about a rift between the boys and Bing, especially Gary, Um, like trying to play up this thing as your dad. like Because he doesn't go to the shows. He kind of wants them to have success on their own. And the boys all kind of want the same thing. Right. So the press make a big deal about him never being at the shows or talking about the boys. But the truth is the boys didn't really want that. Um, But they do have a lot of conflict within the group because they're all – fucking drunks like they are all alcoholics all four of them right so they're getting in tons of fights out in the world and with each other gary leaves the group i think they were only together like six months like it's a really short-lived thing i think the three of them go performing again but it's just not the same thing he eventually marries a woman named barbara who after a few years of dealing with gary's bullshit eventually gets him into aa and he finally gets sober Although uh, he never really makes amends like about what he did with his dad. like They don't ever make amends, yeah. Bing and, and uh, Gary. But they kind of start having some sort of low-key relationship. Now, Bing starts having health issues at this point. Following his recovery from a life-threatening fungal infection in his right lung in January of 1974... He emerges from semi retirement and starts doing albums and concerts again. In March of 1977, he's taping a concert in Pasadena um, to commemorate his 50th anniversary in show business with Bob Hope and I think Rosemary Clooney is there. He falls off the stage into the orchestra pit and ruptures a disc in his back, which requires. I'm sorry. (laughs)
1: sorry. Whenever someone. Like, I know it doesn't happen that often, but if when you say somebody falls off the stage and into the orchestra pit, I immediately picture them falling into the tuba, yeah, did
0: that happen? No, that's, and he did not slip on a banana peel, <laughs> <laughs> but that is a classic move. I think there was like I read like another thing about it where it was like literally he misjudged and he like tried to grab the curtain. <laughs> Like, it was a whole thing. Look, when you see, like, a 70-year-old man fall like that, it's pretty frightening, I'm sure. Like, I went to a Sondheim concert at the Bowl, like, a while ago. It was, like, I can't remember. It was some anniversary, and Angela Lansbury tripped over oh. a um, mic cord. Okay, but protect her at all costs. Yes, but when she fell, the collective gasp <laughs> in the bowl was like deafening <laughs> because it was frightening to see someone that old trip and fall like that. Like that's a that's an ender. Like people can, can die can I from ask that. A
1: question? Yeah. Did she do Worst pies in London from Sweeney? Yes.
0: Pad? Yes. Like okay. it was. It was a great concert, but that moment was shocking, and she did have like. Some serious. I I can't remember. She might have broke her ankle. It was like a serious. Because one of those things when she fell and it seemed fine. And then the next day I saw an article. And I was like, oh "Oh my God, she's like seriously injured. Because she's like 80. Like when it happened, it was crazy. So yeah, it's. Look, I'm going to make a full confession. I have an uncontrollable urge to laugh sometimes when people fall. Even though I'm horrified. (laughs) And like, even if it's me, I will be laughing when I'm falling down the stairs. Like, do you know what I'm saying? It's awful. Like, I have to like walk away sometimes because I'm like, what is wrong with you? Like, you can't laugh at this. Like, well, falling is I don't
1: know what it is. It's like, why? It's not like we're the only ones who do it, but people laugh when
0: people fall. It's uncontrollable with me. Like, I have to walk away and I know I'm awful. And I and I it's not that I don't have the sense I'm horrified and like, are they okay? But I'm (laughs) laughing. Which seems very insincere, but but I could have two feelings at once.
1: (laughs) Like, when was the last time you fell in front of someone?
0: I have tripped, but not as... Like, one of my biggest falls, and it was bad because I was with my friend and her boyfriend, who I hated... (laughs) (laughs) Which made it extra bad. I was like leaning back in a chair, one of those plastic, you know, outdoor seating has like a plastic lawn chair and the legs snapped and I just completely fell. (laughs) And then I had to play it cool like a cat because I was with her hated boyfriend. So I had to be like, what? Like, (laughs) like I had to play it so cool and I was probably seriously injured, but I had to act like I, I didn't care. That's the move. I fell. I
1: was wearing these really high platform boots and I was leaving a comedy show, like dressed like a little slut. Yeah. And this was like five years ago. And I face planted in Los Feliz, like in front of people Ugh. while I was wearing like a short skirt. So I don't know what the people behind me saw, Right, but like I got seriously injured. Like I had to go to the hospital the next day. Like I fucked up my knees really bad oh, God. I fell. like I face planted, but I also fell on my knees. But in the moment I had to pretend like I wasn't seriously fucking injured. I was like, huh.
0: <laughs> Look. I've pretended I wasn't seriously injured at least 15 times. In my life. <laughs> like I also with platform shoes, I literally cannot believe I haven't broken my ankle Dude. with those fucking platform shoes like walking down a narrow steep staircase at a bar or something right. in the dark and like yeah. Just awful. It's awful. So, um in September, he goes on a tour of Britain. And that includes two weeks at the London Palladium. He's doing a sort of like combo tour with Rosemary Clooney. He also in London films his um, what will be his final TV Christmas special with David Bowie, which is one of my favorite moments in all of television history. Are you serious? Yes. I love this. I love that clip of them singing "Little Drummer Boy" Peace on Earth. It's only because David Bowie's there. The whole thing is creepy as hell. It's really creepy. I love it. I love that David Bowie just walks up to his house and he's like, "Oh wait, Bing Crosby lives here. Hello. <laughs> hey, I'm live down the street." The whole thing is stupid as hell. I fucking I love that clip. I, I watch it every year when when it's Christmas time. Well,
1: especially when David Bowie all of a sudden is like Peace on earth. It's the funniest,
0: creepiest, weirdest thing that's ever. And by the way, I read that the reason that that happened is that David Bowie didn't feel drummer boy was a good range for him because he has a higher voice. So he wanted to add a higher uh melody line. Yeah. But I like I like the piece I on like earth. I
1: like the adding, I like the piece on earth yeah. that
0: he added in. And then Bing Crosby's just like <laughs> It's just uh, like to have to sing Parumpa pum, pum like so many times must be really exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to bring a little life to each one. And yeah. it's just the same thing. Yeah. Who cares about the drummer boy? Um, that actually was listed in TV Guide's um, list of the most 25 most memorable musical moments of 20th century television. It's pretty memorable. It's great. I mean, everyone I love knows it. the
1: sweaters. It's
0: weird as hell. You got to yeah, love it. It's really weird. Um. So on October 13th, 1977, he's like on his on his way back to um, the US. He stops in Spain to play golf and hunt partridge. What? Yeah. On October 14th, he's at the La Moraleja golf course in Madrid. He plays 18 holes of golf um, with some other people who are really famous, but I never heard of them. <laughs> They say that he's in good spirits the whole time, like it's a good thing. At the ninth hole, he sees some construction workers nearby who recognize him and ask for a song. He sings Strangers in the Night for these guys. Uh, they finish the rounds of golf, and he says, that was a great game of golf, fellas. Let's go get a Coke. Shortly after he says that, those are his last words. He drops dead of a massive heart attack after playing this round of golf and after saying, go get, let's go get a Coke.
1: I guess not a great, not a great
0: ad for Coca Cola. <laughs> <laughs> they can't use that. Yeah. So that's pretty shocking. Obviously, the sons are shocked by this, but it's sort of the end of this era for them. Right. Right. Uh, Catherine does ask his sons to be the pallbearers at his funeral. Gary actually tells like a kind of funny story where he's like, we're all <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> Like, do you really want us holding the coffin? (laughs) And she's like, oh, your younger brothers will also be pallbearers. Like, they'll help, you know, like.
1: Dude, I would be so nervous in that situation, having to, like, carry and hold a coffin. I feel like
0: I would definitely drop it. Because that seems like something that would happen to me. Like, my hand gets, like, sweaty and I try to adjust. (laughs)
1: Yo, that's how it would go down is my hand would get sweaty. I'd try to adjust and I would miscalculate and the whole coffin would
0: go and then the body would fall out of the coffin. I don't doubt that that would happen to me. I know what will happen to me. <laughs> and that's why I don't do certain things. <laughs> you just know it. Uh, he eventually obviously does it. Now, this is like an open casket funeral. Mm-hmm. So he, Gary says in his book that he like goes to look at his father one last time he looks and sees him looking very small and has like this moment where he's like, I can't believe he's so small and he made me live in terror my whole life. That's kind but of what Christina like, said, Christina Crawford. Oh yeah. I had a similar thing with my grandfather, because he also had an open coffin and I like went to look at him and it is this weird moment where your like abuser is dead and it's like you're like relieved and it's weird, but it's right. just weird to see them there and you just like have this moment with yourself right i don't know it's like a weird uh moment for sure now in 1983 gary crosby publishes the memoir going my own way and obviously it causes a shitstorm of media attention and within his own family particularly within the four brothers who all have kind of different takes on the memoir and like what he should or shouldn't have done gary uh His younger brother, Philip, 48 at the time, says, Gary is a whining, bitching crybaby, walking around with a two by four on his shoulder and just daring people to nudge it off. Now, Gary obviously counters and says, as far as I'm concerned, Philip's dead. He isn't worth the powder to blow him to hell. (laughs) I'm sorry. Dude. These brothers hate each other pretty much, like to some extent. Like they're not close brothers. Uh, except for Dennis and Lindsay are kind of close. Now, Philip's twin Dennis, he kind of says he has little interest in the family history. He's kind of taking the more diplomatic approach. He calls the book Gary's business. And while he doesn't deny Gary's version, he explains Gary has a lot of anger. Now, I do think Gary had the worst of it. So it kind of makes sense that the other brothers might have different perspectives on it. The Lindsay, who is the youngest brother, does side with Gary. He's like, "I'm glad he did it. I hope it clears up a lot of the old lies and rumors." And obviously, that's sort of surprising because, according to everyone, he was Bing's favorite and definitely suffered the less, the least amount of abuse. But maybe that was what made him safe to admit it. I'm sure with Philip, there's a little bit of like not wanting to admit what happened to him Mm -hmm. in the bag. Now Gary's um, these public, you know, allegations that come out other. Crosby fan um family members come out, including his brother, who is named Bob. He insists that he doesn't remember anyone being physically touched in any way. Another friend of Bing's comes out and he says, "I was around the boys practically all the time. I didn't see Bing beating them. I don't think a man can sing like he did and have as many people love him if he did if if he was so bad, sir, yeah, come sir, on. come on now, Philip, however, is the most adamant about guarding the family's honor. He says Gary has been an embarrassment to the family since he was in grade school. Whoa. Yeah. And then Gary retorts, Philip milks his position as dad's son for everything he can get. But <laughs> 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 they're just back and forth hating each other. Like, Philip's full-time occupation is, like, almost reinventing history. And, like, he's really invested in his dad's legacy. Yeah. Um, he He just, like... But he's not living well. Like he apparently lives like in some Los Angeles home. He has bunk- boxes of junk and magazines. Oh magazine. no, not a
1: Los Angeles home. Yeah.
0: Like yeah, but he's like it's in squalor. Like he's the hom- he's a hoarder. He has all these things. Apparently the bathroom smells of urine. He always has two TVs on simultaneously. There's just empty food containers everywhere, uh beer cans like in a pyramid or in his decorating his home. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then he plays a game like throwing the can. Um, obviously Philip has an alcohol problem, but his approach is very different than Gary, who is an AA I mentioned. According to Philip, a man's gotta believe in something. And I believe I'll have another drink. Dude. Uh, <laughs> he is arrested for drunk driving like three times in one year he says smiling in this interview with people magazine i don't drink anymore but i don't drink any less (laughs) like he's got he's got the drunk one-liners like down like yeah that's his thing he did have an 18 month stint with AA but that obviously did not last he said he does not consider himself an alcoholic an alcoholic is someone who can't control his drinking I can but I don't want to (laughs) Uh, actually Rachel do you have any opinions on
1: Phillip's take (laughs) well here's the thing sober people say sober recovering alcoholics we say that (laughs) what is it about you, con, controlling there's, there's a difference between controlling and enjoying our drinking
0: <laughs> right right yeah if it's
1: at, if it's in control I'm not enjoying it
0: oh my god it sounds like he's an alcoholic yeah. does he look i'm not judging <laughs> i would not think the facts are clear there's something going on now uh lindsay i as i mentioned before he kind of has a more tempered view like these like there there were good things with my dad, and sometimes I do forget the rough times. He says of his father's discipline, he was right on the button with all the important things. I never expected affection from my father, so it didn't bother me, which is definitely a sad thing to say. Yeah, of the war between Bing and Gary, he simply says they were both wrong and they were both right. Uh, these people are all from a severely abused home. And it shows.
1: There's, there's a storm of dysfunction yeah. happening here.
0: <laughs> now, as I mentioned before, Dennis and Lindsay were described as like, they were like very close. People described them as soulmates for life. Both were quiet, gentle, non-confrontational men, but also, as I mentioned, both alcoholics, but not like the awful like violent kind, I guess.
1: Just the sad kind? Just the sad
0: kind. Lindsay also suffered from manic depression, and he had battled this for years going in and out of hospitals. On December 11th, 1989, Lindsay was found in his condominium in the San Fernando Valley, a single gunshot wound to the head. On a table nearby laid some bills that were like really high bills that he couldn't pay with his dwindling monthly check that he had gotten from his inheritance. So he was just suffering from mental illness and also had financial troubles now as i mentioned dennis and him were very close dennis had barely gotten over grieving for his mother's death and obviously Lindsay's death was like another awful thing for him to have to go through and they were twins no these were not the twins philip and dennis are twins so People describe them as the, the good and the evil twin. <laughs> but Lindsay is the youngest brother who suffered the least amount of abuse. But for, right. for some reason, him and Dennis were just close. Right. Now, in 1991, Dennis and his wife Arlene had, their divorce was finally finalized. And they were still very close, regularly talking. On Friday, May 3rd, 1991, Arlene talked to Dennis on the phone and he was, she described him as just, aching. She said, he had a lot of pain. He just said, I hurt. You don't understand. I said, I do understand. And there was something else. He said, now I understand how Lindsay felt. The next day, Dennis Crosby, 56, sat on a sofa in his friend's house, aimed a 12 gauge shotgun at his forehead and pulled the trigger (gasps) 17 months after Lindsay had done the exact same thing. Now, Gary, when he spoke at Dennis's funeral, said, When my mother died, I saw the light go out of his eyes. As far as I'm concerned, he's been trying to get back to her ever since. Now, Gary, I, we talked about him being like a, a hardcore AA guy. He really believed in believes in the program or believed in the program. He had um, been talking to Dennis for like the past year of his life to really try to get him to deal with his alcohol problem. And he said... My problem with both Lindsay and Dennis toward the end of their lives was the fact that I was on the program and they weren't. And it was just really difficult for them to get on the same page about things. Mm -hmm. Gary remembers during the part of his therapy, I guess they had like an intervention at some point with Dennis. During the intervention, Dennis's daughter, Erin, told her father what his drinking had done to her. And Dennis tried to deflect it with humor. The therapist who was sort of running the intervention called him on it and said, why is it that every time we try to get to something serious with you, you start with the jokes? Your daughter is telling you this. You should be crying. Dennis said he couldn't cry. And when the therapist asked why, he said, if I start crying, I'll never stop. And Gary reflected on that saying that was the degree of pain he was in. Wow. Um. This family just is a mess. Um, The only thing that everyone seemed to agree on is that they all hated Philip. Like, even the extended family, the siblings and then their wives, and they all had, like, multiple ex-wives all kind of agreed on that. That he sucked. (laughs) That Philip sucked. Um, I mean, you have to feel for him. That's how he dealt with it. He just got angry and wanted to ignore reality, right? I mean, so we mentioned Lindsay and Dennis dying. Uh, Gary died of lung cancer in 1995 at age 62, and Philip died of a heart attack in 2004 at the age of 69. And that is the sad end for the children of the man dubbed Hollywood's most typical father for 1937. Typical. <laughs> that's such get a weird why that's distinction. Supposed to be a compliment. He had like a lot of distinctions like that. Like he really sold this family man, but he had all these like I don't know if they are awards, but they were like these sort of labels like. Just a typical dad in Hollywood. Like he was just the average dad. Right. I mean, maybe it's true if everyone was really abusive at that time. Wow, what a sad
1: story. Isn't that so sad? I literally knew nothing about Bing Crosby before
0: today. Oh, really? I I mean, I knew some of his stuff, but, and I knew that this memoir had happened. Like, I remember when it, like, hearing about, like, that he was a bad dad.
1: For sure. Like I knew, I know the song White Christmas and I know the David Bowie little drummer boy, but that's like, I just like associated with him with like Christmas songs.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've seen some of his movies, like I've seen High Society too with Grace Kelly. Um, But yeah, he's definitely one of those people I... Haven't seen that many of his things, but I know who he is. But from Um, the limited
1: knowledge I had of him, I absolutely got the impression that he was sold as this wholesome. Oh, totally, family guy. Yeah. So to hear that he was such a piece of shit is is shocking.
0: Yeah. No, absolutely. Wow, does Daddy Dearest? (laughs) What a fucking bummer that was, Daddy Dearest. Yeah, it was kind of a bummer. I mean, just there weren't any high camp moments like with Joan. No, because she had her own. Uh, things. Like yeah. I don't think he had too many high drama moments. He's not a very campy person. Uh no.
1: <laughs> he's like Happy op- Father's Day. <laughs> he's like
0: the opposite of camp.
1: <laughs> yeah, he really is the opposite of camp. He's like the opposite of
0: things that get me excited. He's like a pipe. A pipe? Like, yeah, like someone who smokes a pipe. <laughs> oh. <laughs> like he's like a sweater and a pipe. Yeah. Kind of guy. Also when you see like pictures of these boys growing up they all look like stereotypical, like 50s or like 40s and 50s kind of. I like, know exactly what you're like talking about. Like the buzz about. cuts and like kind of matching outfits. Um, but the hairstyles are just so, because they're all kind of blonde and blue eyed, uh, except for the youngest one. Yeah. it's No, just like, I know
1: what you're saying.
0: But yeah. So you can just see this presentation of what they were trying to like
1: to pull show off. the world. Yeah. And it was
0: just kind of like sick Abusive stuff. The weight stuff just was so sad for me yeah, to hear. It's so sad. Um, yeah. So that's the story of Bing Crosby and his family. Well, and I'll try to do something fun on the mini this week. Yeah. I won't do like the 10 greatest abuse stories. Seem <laughs> Desi, <laughs> awful. Desi's just
1: going to go through a list of her personal top 10 times <laughs> yeah. that she was abused in Florida. Do you guys
0: think that was bad? Look what happened to me. I'm going to center myself. <laughs> in the abuse arena uh yeah cool that's
1: a great note to end on
0: um yeah and we'll post some pics of this stuff these guys um and then yeah so check out the instagram and we'll see you on friday with a mini
1: yep Bye. bye